Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, April 27th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Group One's net income drops. Toyota finally gets some good news on production with an asterisk. And Bosch keeps adding to its semiconductor business, now buying a California chip maker. Plus, Toyota and Honda are getting more serious about upping their EV games. And you could maybe depict this as a way of Japan finally waking up to the reality that they're behind on EVs. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Group One Automotive's net income dropped 22% for the first quarter. That's even as acquisitions, service business growth, and elevated vehicle pricing pushed the dealership group's revenue to a quarterly record. Group One reported net income of $158 million for the first quarter. Revenue increased almost 7.5% to more than $4 billion. It retailed more new and used vehicles in the quarter, but per-vehicle gross profits for both dropped by double-digit percentages. CEO Daryl Kenningham blames the drop in net income on loosening new vehicle supply, hurting gross profits. In other words, while new vehicle inventory levels are still historically low and prices still elevated, the market is starting to normalize from the extremes of the past few years. Toyota is seeing that normalization starting to kick in. The world's largest automaker set a global annual output record in the fiscal year that ended in March. It edged just past its target of 9.1 million vehicles as factory disruptions from the global chip shortage and pandemic lockdowns eased. But Toyota warned it continued to see impacts from the long-running global shortage of semiconductors. The company says it's still hard to predict its effect going forward. Toyota has been plagued by production woes more than most other major automakers. Amid all the disruption in the industry, it had to cut its output target twice last year from its initial goal of around 9.7 million vehicles. Speaking of semiconductors, supply giant Bosch plans to acquire a California microchip maker and invest around $1.5 billion in the company to help meet growing demand for chips. It will be Bosch's first U.S. chip plant. The move comes as the Biden administration tries to foster more microchip manufacturing here. The world's largest auto supplier said it will acquire TSI semiconductors in Roseville, California, which is near Sacramento. The move is subject to regulatory approval. Bosch did not disclose how much it paid to acquire the company. And in less optimistic supplier news, a new report says elevated supplier debt levels and high inflation could soon lead to more bankruptcies and accelerate consolidation in the supply base. That's according to a recent analysis of financial data of about 300 suppliers by Deloitte. Compared with their automaker customers, suppliers have taken the brunt of the financial hit from the production challenges of the past few years. Many parts companies took on more debt in order to stay afloat as material costs rose, and also to pay for new investments in vehicle programs related to electrification and advanced driver assistance systems. But now that interest rates have climbed and credit is tighter, that's left many suppliers burdened with higher costs. The problem is especially serious for smaller suppliers. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, this Deloitte study says suppliers are carrying a lot of debt. How will this affect automakers? You know, it seems like it should be just a supplier's problem to worry about. But 
ultimately, it all comes down to the automakers. If key suppliers are struggling or end up going under, they might need to bail them out or buy them or find someone else to buy them. It's one of those deals where they just need to really be in touch with their suppliers and their suppliers' suppliers to make sure that they're healthy enough to keep functioning, that they have the cash they need to keep buying their own supplies and pay their people. <laughs> because if they don't, there's going to be part shortages and it's going to shut down the plant and stop the flow of revenue. Interesting. Coming up, Japan's two largest automakers are talking up their newfound focus on electric vehicles. We'll talk more about it next on Daily Drive. Hi, I'm Pete Bigelow, host of Shift, a podcast about mobility from Automotive News. Each week, I bring you a conversation with leaders who are on the cutting edge of transportation, like this one with consultant and strategist Salika Josiah Talbot. The technologists are forcing themselves in a space that they shouldn't be. And I think the social scientists and politicians are falling down on the job. To hear more about the new technology and policy reshaping the way people and goods move around, join me on Shift. New episodes each Sunday on autonews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. On yesterday's show, we talked about news that Honda now admits falling behind in the global race for electric vehicles. The Japanese automaker this week outlined a sweeping strategy to fight back to better compete in the growing EV market. Toyota is also on that path. New CEO Koji Sato is taking a somewhat different approach than his predecessor, Akio Toyota, who took a lot of heat for not diving headfirst into the EV current. Automotive news reporter Hans Greimel has been writing about all of it. I reached him at his home office in Tokyo. Hans Greimel, welcome back to Daily Drive. Great to be here. You wrote two stories these past couple of weeks about the two biggest Japanese automakers and the more detailed plans they laid out for getting competitive on electric vehicles. What do these plans look like, and are they significantly different from each other or kind of fundamentally similar? Well, they are similar in a lot of ways, but uh, they're a little bit different in a key way, and that is that uh, the two companies we're talking about are Honda and Toyota, of course, uh, both announcing uh, details and updates to their long-term uh, electrification strategies. And Honda is a little bit different because this is uh, the only Japanese automaker that has actually come out and, and with a timeline for phasing out internal combustion. So they are more aligned with like the European or the American kind of mindset about going full zero emissions and very aggressive in that, that regard. Toyota is more representative of the traditional Japanese approach in which they th are more like technology agnostic, uh, open sourcing of the technology by whatever means necessary, just get to carbon neutral, even if that means uh, fuel cells or even hybrids running on synthetic fuels or even in Toyota's case where they're playing with this new technology of hydrogen combustion where you burn the hydrogen in, a, in an engine. So no other Japanese automakers come out outright and said, we're going to phase out internal combustion, let alone by a certain a year. And Honda is unique in that, in that way. Now, both of them are also, in their updated plans, are talking about uh, timelines for getting to certain levels of EV sales by 2030, for example. But I would say also, Honda of the two companies is, you know, I guess, more aggressive in terms of outlining milestones along that way and technologies that it wants to have. So I would say probably Honda is more aggressive in pursuing the EV strategy than Toyota, but both of them are coming out 
and you could maybe depict this as a way of Japan finally waking up to the uh, the reality that they're behind on EVs. Yeah, that seemed like a, an important point. I mean, of course, what what was curious to me though is like, is that why they're talking about it now? I mean, they aren't. Neither of them are changing their targets. So, you know, Honda is trying to be emission free by 2040, which is a you know a little longer horizon than some of the American and European companies, as you alluded to, but a more firm target than their Japanese peers. But not, neither of them have really changed their targets. It seems like they're just trying to show they're serious. Well, you're right. Honda's update came via a its annual update, its annual business plan update. So the EV strategy is actually just one part of that wider update. And that's what we zeroed in on because uh, right now the EV strategy, especially in Japan, is a focal point of concern and interest uh, globally. So that's what we focused in on it. But you're right, it, it only provided incremental up, updates to what the, 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 the big term or the big picture strategy that they already had in place. And it's mostly the same with Toyota as well. But the reason that everybody, they're talking about it is because everybody uh, from analysts to dealers to rival companies to environmental activists and government people, they all are wondering what's going on with uh, the Japanese. Uh, why are, do they seem to be dragging their feet on EVs? Why have they missed the boat? And what does that mean for them long term in terms of their competitiveness? So I think that you see a realization in Japan that they need to start talking about this more, communicating more to the outside world to show that really uh, they get it and that they're not as far behind as the rest of the world thinks. Yeah, I think that's that sounds exactly right. It is interesting that, of course, Toyota has a new CEO. Uh, Honda's CEO is still pretty new in the role. So some of this seems to me about, you know, credibility and trying to get the message out to the outside world that they are serious and excited about EVs, even if it's you know a little more tempered than some of the rhetoric uh, by some of their peers. That's right. And you see that especially in the case of Toyota, kind of a, a shift of the attitude, I would say. That's very evident at, uh, at Toyota. You know, it's not like they were never talking about EVs, but they used to kind of throw it into a, a broader mix and it would kind of get lost in the messaging. Uh, the new CEO, Koji Sato, who just took over on April 1st, he is very laser focused on the idea that uh, he needs to talk more positively about EVs and the Toyota overall strategy. He recognizes that Toyota is a little bit behind and that the rest of the world is coming at him for that, uh, criticizing them for that. And he wants to reassure them that, hey, don't worry, I get it. We have a plan and action to remedy this and believe you me. Uh, we'll be ready with EVs when the, the market is ready for them. And, and Honda also has a really interesting proposition, right, where they're partnering with GM right now, but they're working on their own technology for sort of the next generation after the Ultium platform. And this is with a you know still pretty new CEO in, uh, in uh, Mibe, Mr. Mibe. And it was curious to me that he, even after having really established those targets himself, uh, decided to come out with, we don't just have a target, we have step-by-step -step plans. And you also reported something that I thought was really fascinating about the competition was what they saw in Shanghai. I think that's part of the, 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 the reckoning that you see here in Japan, that they went to the Shanghai show. It was the first time that a lot of them had been there in a long time because of the pandemic. 
And they, like I hear from a lot of people, uh, Europeans and overseas people, you know, non, non-Japanese included, that they were just floored by the progress and the advances that they saw by the Chinese there, especially in EVs. EVs ruled the roost. The number of different EV players, the sophistication of the models and the technology and the, uh, the advancement of the offerings they were rolling out there, and it made them realize, uh-oh, things are really moving quicker than we thought in the world's biggest auto market. And, and not only are we falling behind in that market, but that market, the local players there are now exporting to the rest of the world and are becoming uh, competitors in our bread and butter, uh, our, our strongholds, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very interesting dynamic. One more thing I want to touch on uh, before I let you go. You've written before about Nissan and its progress towards solid-state batteries, which it and many other companies seem to see as really the key breakthrough you know, needed to make EVs as good economically or maybe even better than gasoline-only or gas-electric hybrids. Um, did Toyota and Honda say anything about solid-state batteries and how essential they may be to their future plans? They don't say exactly how essential they are to their long-term plans. And I think that's partly because the technology is still in its infancy and they have plans to commercialize it before 2030 in the late 2020s, for example, all three of them, uh, Honda, Nissan, and Toyota. But I think it's still premature for them to say how important that technology will be to generating profitability by, let's say, in the short term to like, or the midterm to 2030. Uh, Honda was interesting because in their presentation yesterday, uh, CEO Toshihiro uh, Mibe said, uh, outlined actually three new next generation uh, batteries that they're working on for after 2025. And that actually 2025 is really when they start, when uh, Honda kicks in with their kind of their next gen EV strategy. So that's when you're going to see things really snowballing with, with Honda. But there's the uh, next generation lithium ion uh, battery, which is kind of a successor that has higher capacity and higher power than the current uh, lithium-ion batteries. And they're working on that with a company called GSU Asa, which is a uh, Japanese auto, I'm sorry, battery maker. And then they're also uh, going into semi-solid state packs, which is something I don't know a lot about, but it's kind of like a mixture. It's like, I guess, and it's probably cheaper and uh, not as sophisticated. And they're working on that with a uh, SES Holdings, which is a Boston-based startup. And then for the Holy Grail, the, the pure, the, the all solid state batteries, that's another thing that they're working on. They're doing that in-house and they hope to have like a pilot line set up next year to kind of do demonstration production of those batteries and uh, on its way to, you know, putting them into cars basically by the end of the decade. And they want to keep that in-house, as does Nissan, as does Toyota. Why Why is that? Because that's the, like I say, the holy grail technology. And the, if they can nail that battery and keep it in-house, that's going to be the key to the long-term success, basically, because batteries rule the roost for tomorrow's EVs. Hans Greimel, our man in Tokyo, I'm so glad you're there keeping track of all these big companies and what their big strategies are. We'll talk again to you soon. All right. Thank you, Jamie. Have a good one. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Mark Homer and John Irwin for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on electrification, earnings results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. 
Come back tomorrow for a look at how some dealerships are training people who were formerly incarcerated to be auto service technicians. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.